and can you share with us a little bit how maybe God has changed you through this experience? God has changed me completely. Um, about a year ago, no, this is not going to be long, I promise. About a year ago, I started struggling with the fact that I don't care about people that are lost. And um, so I've sort of been praying a little bit along about that, and then actually I sort of forgot about it. And then I met Stephanie one day um, when we were... <laughs> one day and she said um, you should come to India and I thought well that's just the silliest thing I ever heard <laughs> well and I said yes okay the second silliest thing I ever heard so um, over the next few months I started preparing to go and I went to a, a class a training about how to uh, share my faith and slowly but surely I started getting excited about um, saving people and, and telling them the message of Jesus. And then about a month before we left, I actually had a dream and very clearly saw a little low house and the door was right in the center and there was a one woman standing right next to the door. Oh, did you guys get that part about the house and the door? Okay, and then there was a woman standing, I guess would be the front porch. Now, in the dream, there was a huge round pot standing next to her. And I thought, well, that's her cooking spot or whatever. And I accepted that dream as, I accepted that dream as um, a vision of a person that I would meet in India. So I was prepared to find her. On the first day we went out, the first house we went to, we turned the corner and there was the low house with the door and the woman standing there. Well, he um, just broke my heart for her, and we went in, and it was the first time I had ever shared the gospel. Um, and she had, I think there were four or five other people in the house, and all of them accepted Christ. And it was so amazing. Since then... I cry all the time. I say, laughingly, that the Lord has given me the gift of weeping <laughs> over the lost. So I can't wait to go to uh, India again or wherever the Lord leads me. It was the most amazing thing. And we had a great team. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Chris, this is Family Sunday, so we also have the children in. And so the children are released at Children's Church as well. Thank you, Chris. Well, good morning, church. So fun coming into the presence of God with you every Sunday. I so look forward to it. So I want to encourage you to uh, get on the fasting calendar. Uh, you can go to our website, gatheringplacechurch.org, and Go to the prayer banner that goes across the top and uh, join the fasting calendars. Put your name in there on a day, just fast one day of the week or one day of the month so that we always have somebody fasting for our body all year long. And fasting and prayer releases the presence of God like nothing else. So really want to encourage you to do that. Also, just FYI, 
For those of you who are nursing moms, or if you have a baby who is shouting hallelujah just a little bit too loud and too long, uh, right as you go out these doors to the right, there's a little overflow room there. We have a speaker and a little video monitor, so you can go back there with your child and still be part of the church service. So, amen. You guys ready to get into the Word today? All right, it's time to eat. Let's go. So, we are in, we're going through the book of Romans this summer, so that when you're traveling, I'll be traveling this coming week with my family, going back for my mom's 80th birthday. And uh, so, being in the book of Romans, we're all in the same place at the same time, and you can, you can read the, the same chapters, you can get online, you can watch the service online on our YouTube channel, our Facebook. You can also listen by going online to our website. So we just all stay connected. I'm really excited about today's message because we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is faith. Chapter 4, I've called Live by Faith. Not by fear, not by doubt, not by shame, not by religious works and human effort, but live by faith. Romans chapter 4 covers two primary points. One is that faith brings your position with God Faith also releases the promises of God. Everybody say, by faith. faith. See, faith gets you into the position with God. Faith releases the promises of God into your life. Jesus said it this way to a couple of blind men when he healed them. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. I remember one time I was meditating faith scriptures because I needed physical healing, and I was on a picnic bench up in Julian. I had all these healing scriptures written out on a piece of paper, and I kept meditating them and reading them over and over and closing my eyes and meditating, getting the living Word of God down into my soul to bust up that sickness. And I remember when revelation came, about, I almost jumped up off the bench. I read the same scripture over and over and over, which was, according to your faith. Be it unto you. When that scripture came alive to me, it changed my life forever. Because I realized that the higher and deeper and wider your faith is, which is a spiritual force, the higher and stronger and deeper your faith is, the more heaven is released into your life. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So today as I'm preaching to you, your faith is going to increase. You get into the Word by yourself, your faith will increase. You fast and pray, your faith will increase. One time, uh, the disciples who had already cast out demons, already healed the sick, already produced miracles, and they were no different than you and me. Tax collectors, fishermen, they were just blue-collar workers. They were just average Janes and Joes. And yet Jesus gave them supernatural power to go out and bring the kingdom of God. And he said, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead, and say the kingdom of God has come upon you. They came back shocked that it worked. And they said, even the demons do what we say in your name. And, and so... And so one day, they were trying to cast the demon out of a war where they didn't know it was a demon. He had leprosy. And... Uh, which is what we would diagnose as leprosy. But many times there's a spiritual component behind the natural affliction. Many times there's a spiritual component behind depression and disease sickness uh, around uh, all sorts of logistical conflicts and, and uh, loss of jobs and money. I mean, the, the devil is on the prowl to devour who he can. And he is Dr. Damage. And he hates us, spiritual body, relationship, finances. He just hates the human race and he wants to torment us. 
And so the disciples go out, and they're doing these great miracles, but one day they could not heal a boy who had leprosy. And they came to, and Jesus came down off the mountain of transfiguration. That is, he was, he was up on top of a mountain worshiping God, and he comes down from the mountain, he finds this commotion, and he says, what's going on here? And this, this man came and said, your, your, your disciples could not heal my son. And what Jesus didn't say was, which is many times we would say, well, it must not be the will of God. Because we prayed and it didn't happen. And Jesus said, well, bring the boy here to me. And then Jesus cast out a spirit of infirmity, and the boy was completely healed. Everybody leaves, and the disciples turned to Jesus and said, why couldn't we heal him? And Jesus did not say, because I'm the Son of God, and you're not. But that's many times where we rest in our unanswered prayers and against strongholds that don't move. Many times it is, well, it must not be God's will, or, well, Jesus could do it, but I couldn't. When he yet has given us his name and given us all authority in heaven and earth through his name. We are ambassadors of Christ in the earth to bring the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Do we bat a thousand? No. Do we see a hundred percent? No. But if you don't keep getting up to the plate and swinging, you're not going to even get a single. You just got to keep contending for the kingdom and a breakthrough of heaven on earth in our lives. Can I hear an amen? And so they said, why couldn't we do it? And I'm so thankful that Jesus is not an overly sensitive pastor that's afraid of hurting people's feelings. He'd rather raise people up into walking to the levels that he walks in. And so he just told him the truth. You know what he said? Because of your unbelief. Now, that would make most people leave your church and go somewhere else where the pastor is going to be a little nicer. But Jesus wanted them to understand why they were not getting their breakthrough. In this particular instance, it was a it was unbelief. They needed a higher level of faith because new levels, new devils. They had already healed the sick and cast out devils, but this one they ran up against, they couldn't move. And then Jesus taught them about faith, how faith works, how faith grows like a seed. Some translations in that passage say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that is not in the original language. The word size is not there. That's not what Jesus was talking about. In the literal translation it says, if you have faith as you would have a mustard seed. Well, what do you do with a seed? You plant it. And even if it's the smallest seed, it will grow into the biggest tree. He's talking about how faith grows. What he's saying to them is you need to nurture your faith and let it grow to a place where you can move mountains. Then he said, but this kind in particular, this kind of devil, this kind of stronghold, does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Because that's where faith is generated and germinated. Amen. Well, I like that. All right. So, Romans chapter 4 is about faith. Our position in God and the promises from God. Let's jump into it. Romans chapter 4. And starting... And starting in verse 1. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Let me, let me catch up to you guys. Or catch up to the overhead. Okay, here we go. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast of, but not before God. 
For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. Okay, this word accounted means putting every action in the debit or credit position. Okay, how would you like God to give you a grade this morning on your life? And put every one of your actions in the debit or the credit column. How many would enjoy that that exercise? I think we would come up seriously wanting on the scales of righteousness and unrighteousness, morality and immorality, sin and holiness, right and wrong. We would fall woefully short. And yet, the Bible says that God calls us righteous. How is that possible? The only way that God could call those of us whose credit rating is in the tank, spiritually, righteous, is because when Christ came to the earth for us, he was perfectly righteous. He never sinned. He was perfectly righteous his entire life. He lived the perfect life for you and me. Then he died a sinner's death for you and me. Then he rose from the dead, broke the power of death, sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he says, anyone on earth now who comes to me as their Savior, my Father will take my credit rating and give it to you. That's how it works. That's why he says here in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham, what does it say? Worked for God? Tried to impress God by being a good person? What does it say? Say it out loud. He believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Like an accountant, keeping records. Like next month, I have to true up with SDG&E. It's called true up. That is, I have solars, and every once a year, I call them, and we do what's called a true up. And that is, how much electricity did you produce? How much electricity did you use? And then we see who owes who what. Now, before I got solar, it was insane. My electric bill went from 300 a month to 500 a month to 600 a month to 1100 a month. Some of you are going, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Get solar. And I don't even work for a solar company, so I'm, but I'm telling you, get solar. And some people... Their credit, I mean, their debt goes higher and higher and higher and higher. Some of you are that way right now. It's over your head and you're drowning. And there's no way out. You'll never be able to pay your debt. That is the way you and I were. Some of you are, if you have not come to Christ. Our spiritual debt is so insurmountable, there's no way you will ever, ever be able to pay it off. But what if you're completely upside down? There's no way out. And the creditors are knocking on your door and ringing your phone. And then you call one of your creditors, and let's say I call a best dg to pay off my $5,000 electric bill. And they say, before they shut off my electric, and they say, oh, don't worry about it. Your, your credit's perfect. You're all caught up. I said, well, how's that even possible? We don't know. Somebody just called us up and paid your bill for you. 
Well, why would they do that? I don't know. They said they love you. That is what God did for you and me. And as Mark, or Mark taught us last couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, the reason God, uh, Paul is hammering this grace versus works message is because he's writing to a Jewish audience. I was uh, at a rehearsal, or a, um, at a, uh, what were we yesterday? A dance recital. And uh, I have a Jewish friend. Oh my gosh, Mark, he's coming closer and closer. He was in our home the other night. And you know what he said to us? I mean, when he first came to us, you know, there's just no hope that he's ever going to come to Christ. And he's just, that's just, you know, I'd witnessed to him, just not going to happen, not going to happen. I just haven't quit. We're praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. He was sitting on my couch a couple weeks ago, and he said, I've been listening to a radio program called the Jesus Christ Show. <laughs> I just, I, I, was, I was cool as the center seat of a cucumber, just poker face. Oh, that's interesting. On the inside, I'm like, what? Right? <laughs> yes! Why would he be doing that? And so yesterday we were at the uh, same uh, rehearsal and he said, what are you teaching on tomorrow? And I was like, oh. Uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to tell him. I said, well, Paul was talking about how you're not a Jew just because you were born a Jew. You're a Jew because you have faith in the Messiah. And he said, he said to me, aren't there like different translations that say different things? He just said that. I said, no, no, they all say the same thing. Lord, we pray for him to come in. He's a precious man and you love him. We're calling for him to come into the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it very plainly. 2 Corinthians, I'm going I'm to do this off of the uh, grid with you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made, God made him Jesus. For God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. All of our righteousness is in Jesus Himself. When we come to the Father, we come freely because we're not coming on our goodness. We're not coming on our badness. We're coming on Jesus' righteousness, which has been accredited to us freely by our faith. So the first place you exercise your faith as a Christian is in Jesus as your personal Savior. Then boom, that opens up the front door to the Father's house. The entire kingdom of God opens up to you. And now everything is by faith. And as your faith increases, you experience more of the kingdom of God. Because faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. So, that is our position with God. And it comes by faith. You enter the kingdom of God through the new birth, not by good works. Now, I want to, right before we go into the promises of God, because that first piece there shows our position with God, which is our, our account with God says that we are righteous. But I want to talk about something real quick. I'm going to do a little sidebar here because James uses this exact same phraseology, but the way he uses it has brought a lot of confusion 
to certain followers of Christ. And even the Jehovah Witnesses actually used James's account of righteousness for their works-based religion. So I want to read through this very quickly, do a little study here, and then we'll come back to the book of Romans. So in the book of James, are you with me? In the book of James chapter 2, starting at verse 14, James says it this way, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Sounds contradictory, doesn't it? But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe. And that you believe there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you do not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father? Okay, we were just reading about Abraham, right? And how he was justified, given a uh, righteous credit rating by faith. Well, now James is using the exact same scripture, but look what he says about it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. The scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham, that word fulfilled is really important. That Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's that word accounted again, the exact same scripture that Paul used in the book of Romans. James is using here. And it says that because of Abraham, that he believed God and his works justified him before God, he was called the friend of God. You see then, a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Doesn't that sound contradictory to what we just read in the book of Romans? Paul saying it's by faith, not by works, or you're cursed. He says if you try to impress God by being a person of works, you have to live under the entire law and never miss a jot or a tittle. Cross every T, dot every I, or you're going to be condemned by the law itself. So, we're not doing it by works. We're doing it by faith in Christ alone. Everybody says, amen. But James says, faith alone doesn't save you, but works. What do you think he's saying here? I'm going to throw this out to you. What do you think he's saying? Works is the evidence of your faith. That's what James is saying. Putting... Uh, you know, in, in uh, our vernacular, the proof is in the pudding, baby. You can call yourself a Christian. You can say you're all that in a bag of chips with Jesus. But if your life isn't lining up with it, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Jesus says, hey, many people say to me, Lord, Lord. He said, but I never knew you. Jesus said you will know them, not by their confession, but you'll know them by their fruit. So what he is saying is, Abraham believed God. And it was proved when God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son. The Bible says the next morning, early in the morning, Abraham got up, 
got the firewood, and boy, let's go. Where are we going? We're going to go sacrifice to the Lord. Didn't even tell poor Isaac what was about to happen. He just obeyed God. And of course, you know the story. Some of you don't. When he went to sacrifice him, an angel stopped him, and God said, you really do believe me. And then there was a ram caught in the bushes, poor ram, just happened to be there, and sacrificed that instead. And of course, that was a foreshadowing of God sacrificing his own son, Jesus, for our sins. But it is when Abraham was tested that his faith was proven to be true. That is what James is talking about. So let's go back to the book of Romans. So then let's jump to verse 13 of the book of Romans. We just looked at our position in God, which is by faith and by faith alone. And your faith will be proven by the way that we walk with God. I'm going to, I, I'm going to hit that for another moment. So when you have someone like a Jehovah Witness, which are precious people, I mean, I mean, we're not better than them, they're not better than us. It's just that what they believe is, the reason they're not knocking doors and doing all the things they're doing is because they believe that if they're not doing that, they will lose their salvation. It's the same with Mormonism. Same with every other religion on, on earth. Every other religion other than Christianity is trying to earn their way to heaven by doing their good works. And the way you can prove it is ask them to stop doing it and see if they believe that they'll still go to heaven. And that's when you realize that their faith is in their works, not in their faith, uh, not in Christ. But you can flip that around, and as I said, you can have a believer saying they're a, a follower of Jesus, and yet if their life has no evidence of it whatsoever, then you have to question their faith. But now, once you're in the kingdom of God by faith, now the whole thing opens up, and there is nothing impossible with God. And so we see this starting in verse 13 in Romans chapter 4. For the promise that he would be heir of the world. We're talking about Abraham. The Bible says in the book of Romans, our book of Psalms, that the heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to man. Did you know that? You see, that's why when... Satan tempted Jesus in the desert. The Bible says Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he went through this test. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, when he was at his weakest point and starvation is kicking in, that's when Dr. Damage shows up. And the first thing he tempts him with is with food, with the lust of the flesh. Just like in the Garden of Eden, where Satan showed Adam and Eve fruit, and it was, it was pleasant to the eyes. And good for food. That's the lust of the eyes. And so, Satan tempts Jesus with food. And what does he offer him? If you'll just bow down and worship me. What does he offer him? Do you know? The three temptations come down to, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. If you just bow down and worship me. Well, it wouldn't have been a temptation if he didn't truly own all the kingdoms of the world. Well, how did Satan come to own all the kingdoms of the world? Because God had given them to Adam and Eve in the garden. And when Adam and Eve chose to disconnect from God and live independently, and I will create my own destiny, which was the lie of the devil. If you disconnect from God and dictate your own destiny, God knows that you'll become a God just like him. That's Mormon doctrine, by the way, that we will become gods. 
And so Satan, I mean, so Adam and Eve bought the lie that their life would be better apart from God. And that lie is still living alive and well today in, our, in the human race. We really believe our lives would be better if we lived them separate from God. And yet we were created to walk with God. And He owns everything. And He's not sad and mad and bad. He's not poor or broke or sick or diseased. He has all wisdom, all peace, all love, all power. His presence is unbelievable. His protection in our, our lives is just crazy. He sends angels to protect us everywhere we go. He calls us sons and daughters. Once you come to His Son, He says, it's God's pleasure to give you the entire kingdom of God and we get to spend eternity with Him. Yeah, that's horrible. What a horrible message. But you see, the devil lies to us and tells us it'd be better to live our lives separate from God and live independently. And so Adam and Eve bought it, and what he did was he abdicated authority, the authority God had given to Adam and Eve. He said, uh, after he created them, he said, subdue the earth, take authority over all the earth, take dominion over the, all the earth. And when Adam bowed the knee to Satan, Satan got his authority over all the earth, which is where all the destruction comes from. God is not the one afflicting. The devil is. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. The devil bad, Jesus good. Can you say that with me? Devil bad, Jesus good. So don't be giving God credit for cancer and dying babies and car accidents and all that kind of stuff. I hate it when insurance companies say we cover you for everything except for acts of God. I wish they put acts of Satan in there. Man, God gets a bad rap. He's good. Devil bad. God good. Devil bad. And we're ambassadors. We're out there busting up the devil's works and releasing the kingdom of God everywhere we go. So, that all came off of this phrase. For the promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world. You see, God's given it back to man here. He's given the world back to man through his promises. Through the, he would be the heir of the world. It was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, the law lets us know what sin is. Therefore, it is of faith so that it might be according to grace. Everybody say grace. <sighs> Just take a deep breath, sigh of relief. It's all by God's grace. But faith is what activates grace. Works activates judgment. You get what you deserve. Faith activates grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only for those who are of the law, but also for those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So what he is saying is, whether you are a Jew who lives under the law, or a Gentile who lives under the, uh, your own consciousness of right and wrong, that God gives an internal consciousness of right and wrong, no matter what law you're living under, if you come by faith in Christ, then the promise to be heirs of the world is to everyone. Now, this is where it gets fun. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I 
have. Everybody say have. I have. That's past tense, right? This is a critical piece. Critical piece. I have made you a father of many nations. Now, here's the problem with that. When he told Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham had not even had a child yet. That's why we continue to read this. In the presence of him whom he believed, Abraham, believing God, who gives life to the dead, in other words, there's nothing impossible with him, he can raise the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is what our God does. God does not look, and we've got to follow his example. That's the whole point of this exercise this morning. We are to follow God's example. God does not look at what is and calls it what it is. He didn't look at Sarah and say, you are barren. No, he said, you're the mother of many nations. What? And she laughed. She laughed. Ha! When God said that to her. And Abraham doubted and said, God, how can this be? I don't even have a child. But God had already named him. God has already named you a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's already named you having all authority in heaven and earth in his name. He's already named you a city at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus having all authority over demons, principalities, and powers. He's already named you healed. He's already named you saved. He's already named you redeemed. I remember one time I was so distraught because I'd led some of my employees to the Lord. I was in business here in San Diego before I was a pastor. And a couple of them were in an adulterous relationship. And I was weeping over them. I'm walking down the street in my neighborhood, and I was weeping over these two precious people who had led to Christ. They fell into adultery. And I'm standing on the street corner just weeping. First I said, God, why am I weeping over these people? He said, because I've given you a pastor's heart. I said, can you take it back? I really did. It hurts. It's like, a, it's like a parent's heart that grieves over a child. It's the same kind of love. And so then, I, then, then my friend uh, came up to me and he said to me, he was one my neighbor, and he said, what, what, what's going on? What are you crying about? I said, well, I'm just crying over a couple of people related to the Lord and now they're in an adulterous relationship and it's just breaking my heart. And he said, well, what did God say? I said, well, God said something weird to me. He said, uh, faith is a substance of things hoped. I said, God, how do you do this? How do you do this? I mean, I'm crying over two backslidden Christians. You've got children backsliding and mistreating each other all over the planet. How do you endure such pain? I mean, if I'm feeling your heart right now and it's just a drop in the, in the ocean, how do you do this? And God said to me, Mark, he said, by faith. Now, I didn't understand that. I said, by faith, how do you, what's that mean? And so my friend came up to me and he said, well, what did God say? I said, God says he does it by faith. He says, well, what's the definition of faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. And I got it. God sees the end product. God's not all caught up in where we are right now. He sees a glorious church. He sees sons and daughters who are taking dominion and casting out devils and healing the sick that look just like Jesus walking in there loving each other unconditionally, forgiving one another. That's what God sees, his bride. He's not going to marry some old hag when we come walking into heaven like this. Hey, Jesus, we're here. He's not marrying that. 
<laughs> God sees us the way He created, recreated us to become. He's a God of hope. That's good for parenting, by the way. I'm preaching to myself right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Come on. You can't get all caught up where your 13-year-old is right now. The son of the devil. I mean, come on. No, nah, I'm kidding. I'm not talking about mine. I'm talking about yours. All right. But that's so true. You can't get caught up where your marriage is right now, where your children are right now, where your finances are right now, where your physical body is right now, where your walk with Jesus is right now. Because that's not the end of the story. With God. There's over 7,000 promises in the Bible that you can mix your faith with. And with patience and endurance, you're going to see God come through in such powerful ways. I know. You and me, Adrena, we're getting this. We're gonna, hey, if they don't want it, we'll take theirs too. We're just going to claim all the promises and then some. It's critical that we walk by faith. Faith in what? Well, how did Abraham become the father of many nations when he hadn't yet had a child? And God is saying to him, you are. He didn't say you're going to be. He said, I have made you the father of many nations. It'd be like God saying to Bill Gates when he was still a teenager, I have made you an icon in the software world. Or to Michael Jordan before he was even playing basketball, a little kid, I have made you the greatest basketball player that will ever live. It would be like that. I have already done it. He said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. And I made you a prophet to the nations. And God had to keep reminding him of that when he was crying and saying, my ministry is terrible and people hate me and I don't want to do this anymore. I have made you a prophet to the nations. You see, look what Numbers 23.19 says. Numbers 23.19. This is a powerful, powerful verse. God is not human that he should lie. There we go. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act as he promised and not fulfill? You see, you and I break our promises all the time. God never will. So let's look at Romans chapter 4. Let's go back here again because I'm running out of time. As it is written, verse 17, Romans four seventeen. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of God whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist, like the physical healing in your body, like being in the black and not in the red in your bank account, your marriage being what you hoped it was when you were at the altar saying, I do. Calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope. There was no hope. There's no way out. There's no hope. Contrary to hope, in hope he believed. So that he became the father of many nations. He mixed his faith with God's promise. That's how he became the father of many nations. And it took him 25 years to get there. But once he got there, poof, the miracle happened. Mm. I hope somebody caught that. 
I'm going to read this verse again, verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope believes so that, so that, so that. That's conditional. It's causal. He became the father of many nations according to his human effort, his willpower, his bringing it to pass himself. No, he tried that with Hagar and he had Ishmael. When you and I try to bring the promises of God to pass, we will create a mess. Oh, I'm going to say that again. When God gives you a prophetic word, a prophetic promise, and you think it's going to happen in the morning, and it doesn't, and then you just think, well, what? I'm going to make this happen. It's my responsibility to make the promises of God to come to pass. You're going to just, ugh, you're just going to be ripping things apart and pushing people out of measure and killing yourself and not be able to sleep at night, trying to make God's promises of provision and protection and all this peace and all, trying to, oh, I'm going to make this come to pass. What's it say? It says that Abraham became the father of nations because he believed according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. For those of you who don't know Hagar and Ishmael, God gave Abraham a promise that he had a promised child. And it was many years to pass that didn't come to pass. And so his wife said, why don't you just, why don't you just have sex with our handmaid and have a child through her? Because I'm barren. They didn't believe the promise of God. The promise of God just sitting there waiting for them to believe it. And it just sat there hovering over their life. And so he goes and he has sex with Hagar and she has a baby. And then Sarah gets upset so they kick her out. And, uh, and then God brings her back. And then you end up with a whole other nation through, uh, through uh, Ishmael. And then God says, okay, you guys, you guys done fooling around? Okay, I told you you're going to have a, pro- a baby that comes right out of your own body. This is encouraging to us, believe it or not. Because it took Abraham 25 years to come to the place of faith to have a promised child. It takes time for you and I to get the unbelief and the fear and the doubt carved out of our hearts and our minds and our spirit to grab a hold of the promise of God and say, I believe it. And that's when people think you're crazy. But that's when you've got a hold of it. That's when you've got a hold of it. And you believe something nobody else is believing and that comes through fasting, prayer, meditating the Word of God, saturating yourself in the Word of God until, man, His Word, boom, it explodes in your heart. You're like, I believe! Those around you don't believe because they don't have the faith you have. But you mix your faith with the promise of God until you believe it. And look what happens to Him in verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he was, but not being weak in faith, eventually, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He was 100 years old. Since he was about, there it is, 100 years old. See, told you. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Her womb was dead. This is a medical miracle. He's too old to have fun, and her womb is dead. And here's this promise of God. See, this is heaven invading the earth. This is the supernatural realm, the unseen realm, that's about to change the natural realm. We're people of faith. You know there's a difference between preaching at people and shouting at them, right? You guys feel preached at or yelled at? All right, well, I just get excited about this topic. And it's because I want things in your life that don't bust open to bust open for you. That's, that's where my passion comes from. 
I want you to experience the supernatural God in every area of your life. I'm contending for it. I'm seeking it for it. I'm calling out for it. I love it when people get healed. I love it when people like Melissa who didn't care about anybody. No, that's what you said. Who, who says, she's dishonest. I don't, have, I don't care about the loss. I mean, that's a great confession. What an honest, transparent confession. And you confess for most believers, by the way. We're in. Who cares about everybody else? We're in the ark. Shut the door. Let's watch TV till Jesus comes back. And she, she confessed it. And then God said, I, I appreciate your confession. Here, have some of my compassion for the lost. And you ought to see it on the mission trip. You know, you're ordering something. What would you like to eat? And she would <laughs> just start crying over the menu. No, not really. But she would just start tearing up. And she, I said, what is that? And she told me her story. God has given me his heart, and I can't help but weep. It's a beautiful thing. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced. See, he came to the place where he was fully convinced. Boom. That was the point where the miracle took place. He was fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform. That's why you've got to be in this book. You've got to know the promises of God. Or what are you mixing your faith with? Nothing. In fact, you might not have much faith if you're not in the Word of God. That's, this is God food. This is spirit food. It feeds your faith. Your faith grows. You've got to be in prayer, be in the Word, fast, worship, get into that environment, in your car, at home, in church, and you're cultivating your faith. And your faith comes to a place where you're fully convinced that what He's promised, He's also able to perform it. He's able to perform it. And therefore, it was accounted to Him for righteousness. There's that verse again. Now, here's, a, here's the great close. It was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but also for us. Amen. Abraham's in heaven. His turn's over. The baton is in your and my hand. What are you going to believe for? What promise are you going to claim? Who are you going to bless? It was also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. Now look, I know that we're going to believe for things and we're going to believe and we're going to believe and we're going to believe for some things and they're not going to manifest on this side of heaven. I know that. It happened in the book of Hebrews, the faith hall of fame in the Bible. There were people like Abraham who were promised certain things, and many others, and they believed God until they died. And it says they did not receive the promise. But they are in the faith hall of fame because they believed until the day they left the earth. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not hard, impossible to please Him. For they that come to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Like today, I'm seeking him for three days. I'm seeking him desperately for us, for his presence in our church. And what scripture did he give me this morning that I shared with you? That his presence filled the temple when his people came to you. He's responding to my cry for more of him for us. I would rather live by faith and die in faith than live in the torment of fear and doubt and unbelief and get nothing 
and then show up and just squeak into heaven and say, thank God I made it. That's just not the way I want to go. So I'll close with this. So when I was up on that picnic table up in Julian, I was meditating the scriptures on healing. And the scripture jumped out at me, according to your faith, be it unto you. And so from that day to this, I've lived a life of cultivating faith. What struck me one day was this, and that goes to that scripture we just read about God calls us things that are not as though they are. I was claiming my healing, physical healing, which is a promise of God. I was claiming it, and I was saying, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Even though my physical body was saying, you're not. And I just said, by his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. And the Holy Spirit corrected me and said, actually, you were healed when Jesus died on the cross. And I mean, see, in that moment, my faith connected with a promise of God that happened at the cross. He died for our sins, our sicknesses, and our diseases. And I changed my confession and said, when Jesus died on that cross, he took my sickness and disease with him. I was healed, and I mean, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it like I knew what time it was when I looked at my watch. I knew I was healed. And over the next few months, my body started responding, and I was completely healed. I tell you that story to inspire you to do the same, but I also gave you the caveat that sometimes you're going to believe until you see him face to face. And all the promises we're believing for aren't going to come to pass because we, we are just imperfect and we live imperfect and we don't get the fullness of the kingdom, although we're contending for it. I don't want you to feel bad about that. I don't want you to live in this church of faith and feel bad when things aren't coming to pass. It took Abraham 25 years and some things didn't even come to pass, but God was pleased with their faith. Let's pray. Lord, you are busting up unbelief in here today. And doubt. There's some people here today that you've thrown in the towel. I believe the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, you have quit believing. You're afraid to believe because you're afraid of the disappointment. But the person we don't want to disappoint is the Lord. Honor Him. Honor Him with your faith. Believe. The Bible says, if God did not spare His own Son, will He not freely give us all things? If you sacrificed something precious to you for somebody else's benefit, wouldn't you want them to take advantage of the benefit of that sacrifice? Come to God with your faith this morning. Bring your unbelief along with you too. Right now where you are, just just between you and the Lord.